This is Larry Weissin, and you're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Killin' Sticks Arrows are for the serious hunter, a company that understands the needs of the outdoorsman and provides five different styles of carbon fiber arrows, ranging from hunting to tournament arrows. If you want premium carbon fiber arrows, go to Killin' Sticks, K-I-L-L-N-S-T-I-X.com to review their carbon arrows. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason show, use promo code OUTDOORS to get 10% off your first order. Killin' Sticks, where the blood trail begins. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Today is going to be a really neat episode because we're going to cover some hunting both here in the United States and hunting done in Africa. And not too many people can say that they've guided in both spots. I've got Jay Leyendecker on the line, who is an agent with Hall & Hall Realty, Ranch Realty, out of Laredo, Texas. And Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Man, it's really good. I've been looking forward to having you on for a long time. And, (laughs) you know, you've got such a neat background and and such a varied background with some of the really cool people you've worked with. You know, let's talk a little bit about what got you to where you're at now at Hall & Hall. Um, Did you start growing up down in South Texas hunting? Yes. uh, I, I grew up in South Texas in Laredo. Where, you know, as from a young age, I mean, as as old as I can remember, my grandfather used to take me out into the field, whether it be deer hunting or coyote hunting or javelina hunting. It was always something to do on the weekends. And he would take us, my brother and I out, like I said, from very early age. And that's where my my love won for for all all the animals that reside in the in the wild uh, came from initially and then it, you know, progressed throughout the years and you know, your, your horizons broadened and you know, I'd sought to other continents for, you know, a potential place to, you know, one day visit or become a part of, but in South Texas, for the most part, I, you know, grew up hunting and as, at a very young age and, you know, was very fortunate to be here or, you know, born here and with, uh, family member who had a great passion and a lot of knowledge about it. I was very lucky to have learned from my grandfather for as long as I, for as long as I did. He taught me, uh, you know, all the basics and was, uh, you know, uh, what it takes to become a hunter and gun safety. And we were very, I was very fortunate uh, to have had him in my life. But yeah, I grew up in South Texas and that's kind of where it all began. Now hunting around the Laredo area when you were a kid, that would have been white-tailed deer, javelina, uh-huh. hogs, coyotes, uh, all the basic correct. stuff that we think of for South Texas, correct? Correct. Yep. And that's it. Cactus pear flats, all that fun stuff. <laughs> all the, you, all, you name it. Stuff that bites or bites back or any of it. So, Lots of thorns. Exactly. Now then, as you got older and got ready to go to college, you know, in your bio uh-huh. uh, biography talks about this. 
you stepped out and went to Texas A and M. Well, what I went, what I did is I went to Texas A and M International University, which is based out of Laredo. What I studied there was business. I, you know, I, I felt you know you can never go wrong with the business background. I knew I was going to be in involved in ranching or wildlife in that realm of, of work. But uh, I also felt that the best thing for me was going to have a strong business background. So that's what I did. I went into in a business, got a bachelor's in business administration here at Texas A&M International. You know, all the while I was would go help guide hunts on weekends. And then during the summers, I'd take off to, to Africa. So I'd be gone in Af- to Africa for months at a time at that stage. After I completed my education there, I decided I, I wanted to get something on paper with some, with some merit also on the wildlife side of things. So I moved to Uvalde, Texas and went to Southwest Texas Junior College uh, where they have a tremendous uh, wildlife program. It's a two-year program and it's led by Bob Zaglin. And if you grew up in South Texas reading any magazines, Texas Trophy Hunter magazines, especially in the last, geez, I would say 30 years, you would definitely know who he is. And with him being your teacher, you know, I found that that was a great opportunity for me to learn from one of the best. So that's where my wildlife background came from. And, you know, just having grown up in South Texas, I learned I was pretty often, you know, 15, 16 years old, I was quite often flying around in helicopters over friends of mine's ranches doing deer surveys, wildlife surveys. So I learned quite a bit from being out in the field itself, all the way from capture work and to figuring the numbers out as to harvest recommendations and that. Sure. Before you even got to college, you were already having before I got to college a good background mm-hmm. in it. The way I looked at it, especially in those days when I was trying to, you know, gain in high school, uh, gain knowledge in wildlife and the management of wildlife, I I uh, would often go to neighboring, you know, ranches in the area and work the summers for free, so I could learn directly from the biologists that were, you know, running the ranches or managing the wildlife on the ranches. So I just I, I figured, you know, what better place to learn than hands on and. And then once the college came around, then, you know, I kind of focused on it from there. So you get through college, you get through going through mm-hmm. school up in Uvalde. At that same time, mm-hmm. how does a kid from Laredo find himself hanging out in Botswana? <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a great question. What The way it began, when I was young, you, if you were to ask me when I was 12 years old what I was going to be when I grew up, uh, I would say I'm going to be a professional hunter in Africa. You know, I need to get a lot of, you know, laughs and smirks from people. Oh, yeah, well, great. Good luck with that. But I never stopped dreaming and I never I stayed on course and it's what I wanted to do. And that's what I was going to become. And that's what I eventually became. And the way I arrived in Africa initially was as a graduation present for my grandfather. You know, he was very supportive of me and knew my, my love for wildlife and hunting uh, as he had taught me throughout the years. And so he said, well, you got through high school, you did great, you know, and what do you want to do? I want to send you to experience the world somewhat. I went to South Africa on a, on a, you know, I think it was a seven-day planes game hunt or something like that. And, and from there, it just, you know, I had already had so much knowledge from the books I had read and the research I had done. I was very familiar with all of it. The company, the owner of the company asked me, he said, well, why don't you just stay for a while with us and you can work for us and, and that way you can enjoy it and gain some more experience. And so that's what I did. I, I stayed there in South Africa for uh, for a few seasons and 
enjoyed that. And after, you know, it's like anything else, you know, my, my mind and my goals were always at the top. You know, I want to be the best of the best in the best country and whatnot. So I uh, always wanted to be in Botswana. That was my goal was to be in Botswana and to be around the elephants. And the elephants were what my, I believed at the time were going to be my, my hunting passion. It turned out I was right, you know. So when uh, I started looking into Botswana and looking for new horizons, I went to Dallas Safari Club show, went to a friend of mine whose name is Bob Harper, who uh, owns a company by, called Outdoor Vision. What, I, what they do is they sell books and hunting videos and whatnot. And, you know, from being 12 years old, buying my first book from Bob, and that first book was uh, Horn of the Hunter by Robert Rohr. From buying that first book to, you know, I would say 12 years later or so, I went up to him and said, you know, I want to get into Botswana. What do you think? And he says, well, you know, I think you should go to talk with Johan Kallet. When he said that, that was, you know, at, at that stage of my life, it was, I was just, you know, completely beside myself because you might as well have told me Michael Jordan, you know, so <laughs> for a hunter, you know. I've had the pleasure of meeting Johan a couple times at the DSC Dallas Safari Club show. Uh-huh. And what an amazing guy. What a nice guy is willing to talk. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. forgotten more about elephant hunting than I think most people will ever know. Yeah, no question. No, he's a he's a tremendous man, and and you know, and he gave me a chance, you know, and that for me was means everything in the world because you know here I was this kid from South Texas fooled around in South Africa for a few years, but really wanted to be serious about dangerous game hunting, and I went and approached him and told him kind of my story, what I wanted to do, and and, you know, and he said uh, he says yeah, you know, we'll take you, you show up whenever you want, go talk to that lady over there and sort the details and. That was kind kind of the end of the the whole thing, but you know I, I I didn't know if he understood you know at the time how serious I was about really going. It, it kind of seemed like uh, just another another kid that wants to come and tag along for a while, you know. So he'll wash dishes. What I did was yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what I did was the following weekend was uh, the Houston Safari Club deal. And I was working full time. I had some hunters coming in in the the following day, but I I wanted to see Johan and, you know, meet with him a bit more. And so I drove straight through the night from Laredo. I left Laredo at about 10 o'clock at night, got to Houston at about 3 o'clock in the morning, just waited there for the show to open, basically. So when it opened, I had already prepared my resume and walked in there, and and he was kind of surprised to see me, and and he says, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I want to uh, personally hand deliver my resume to you so that you know I'm absolutely serious about this. And so I sat down next, and he said, here, come sit next to me, and let's talk. So he went through it page by page, and he says, okay. So this is what I expect of you. This is when I need you in mountain. This is what I want you to do. This is what, you know, lined everything out. And then I knew he was 100% serious about me going and what he, what my expectations were. So from then on, I went a month later, I was in Mount Botswana. You get into yeah. Botswana. And I was almost mm-hmm. wondering if you told me when you were a kid, you had watched a whole bunch of that show, Okavango, uh, which took oh, place yeah. in Botswana. And yeah, uh, I, I watched a lot of his videos when I was a kid. Uh, Johans? I still have them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have probably four or five of his hunting videos when I was a little kid. They're still VHS. <laughs> and when's the last time you saw one of those? <laughs> right. But I have them saved. 
<laughs> so so you you get into Botswana. Now there's uh-huh. requirements to become a professional hunter. And Correct. could you explain what those requirements are and how you went about uh, achieving them? Yeah, well, I ended up having to do a, a full apprenticeship, you know, with Johan. And I hunted uh, under Johan quite a bit and um, another professional hunter by the name of Terry Palmer, who was also one of the greats of Botswana. I think his career was uh, he unfortunately passed away this last year but his career was 30 years long you know started in the i think 79 is when it was and as a professional hunter and so i learned from the best no question about that but uh so i did my accomplished my apprenticeship once i i got through that you know had to go for the examination and the test is basically a three-day test is it in english it is in English, but they also want you to reference things in native in the native tongue, which is Swana. So you talk about a tree, you know, a camel thorn tree is also called is a, is a mohotlo tree in Swana, and you know, so they just they want you to be well versed in all of it, you know, not just the hunt. You know, they want you to be versed in the in the floral and the fauna, the taxonomy, everything. Okay, so car engine parts, you name it, it. You know, how do you fix if a firearm does this? What do you do? in this situation i mean just a to z because they want to make sure he's about to set you out into some of the wildest parts of africa and and ultimately as beautiful as as it is is equally as dangerous you have to be prepared for anything at all times so completed that and went on to begin my professional hunting the apprenticeship itself was is was very difficult you know and they want to make sure that they're you know building somebody that will be able to withstand you know the trials uh, that can come on a safari so it wasn't easy by any means on the day-to-day the workload the long long days late night all that and you know for that as difficult as it was and as trying as it was and as hard as they everyone was on me and they were on them on me it made me a better man in the end of the day because there's not much that phases me anymore no i've got to imagine because once they let you loose as a professional hunter any hunter that's with you you're responsible for them correct yeah you're and it's not only your hunter it's your men everybody in that line which can be eight people deep you're responsible for everybody Right, so I would imagine they want to make sure that you're not only well-versed, but that you're not going to be cracking under pressure. Right, exactly. I mean, I can tell that you, exactly right. you see those videos of guy that works quite a bit or had worked quite a bit with Johan, which is Ivan. And mm-hmm. Hello, Ivan Will. Mm-hmm. Ivan's the last one backing away when there's a big elephant coming along. And <laughs> you don't do that by being somebody that's, you know, wishy-washy. You make sure, you know, right. that... You, you know exactly what you're doing totally and the one good thing about elephants is they're very communicative with their with their bodies and body language so you can tell quite a bit what he's thinking for uh, i don't like saying 100 percent of the time but i like saying 85 percent of the time because that 15 percent is where things can go a li- get a little hairy <laughs> no. yeah that's the, <laughs> that's the part where you're like oops <laughs> exactly it's oops boom you know yeah, right <laughs> So when you're in Botswana, now at this point, if many people aren't familiar, Botswana is what was and an, is a premier elephant spot. They just don't allow hunting of elephants anymore. Uh, so you, you can do the plains game from what you were telling me. See, I actually thought that all hunting was done in Botswana, but you've actually cleared it up that they can plains game hunt on private ranches. You just can't hunt the elephant anymore. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And those ranch, what's nice about the, you know, plains game hunting in Botswana, especially for the first time safari go, is it's, 
the areas are so big. I mean, you're, you're not going to be hunting anything under a hundred thousand acres, you know? So you never leave the area. There's dangerous game sure to be on it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a different place. It's a different experience altogether versus, you know, some of the other, the other countries. You still are heading, even though you're working as a ranch agent for most of the year, you do still spend mm-hmm. time in Africa every year. Yes, I do. Um, and it's, you know, primarily to keep me sane. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I love Africa. It's my, it's particularly Botswana. Botswana is my second home. So I love being over there. I, I miss my, what I call my safari family. People I lived with, worked with, and trusted my life to, you know. And I like to, I like to see them, you know, because ultimately you care about them. Sure. I'd like to, I do spend some time there every year and, you know, pretty much for that, just to spend some time with them. And, and obviously the hunting's fantastic. So might as well, you know, dip into the pie a little bit while you're there. Right. Of course. (laughs) Now with that said, tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about, you know, what do you carry for a weapon when you're, you know, what is your rifle of choice as a PH? 500 Jeffrey. That is what I carried. I absolutely loved it. I mean, it feels like a mule, but in the heat of the moment, you don't feel too, too much, you know? Is that a double rifle? It's a bolt rifle, bolt. actually. Okay. And it has, it's, it's one of the greatest stopping calibers there was ever created. I always carried my 500 Jeffrey, and to this day, if, if I hunt any amount of dangerous game, there's nothing I, I want to have with me other than that rifle. I feel like... You know, when I pull it out of its case and go to work the action, it just feels like a piece of my arm just gets reattached, you know. and uh, That's what it should. That's how comfortable. Yeah, and that's that's what it should. And I've entrusted my, my life to it for years, you know. Have you taken all of the big five? Uh, no, I have not. I have never hunted a rhino. Okay. I've never hunted a rhino. Everything else I've, I've done or been on or, you know, to some degree. It's got to be, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see a lot of folks talk about going over to do the crocodile over there. And Correct. That, well, it's a challenging hunt because they they obviously don't get to be that large by being dumb. You're aiming no. at such a small spot. Right. I can tell you, I went to Africa one time when I hunted in Zimbabwe, as many have heard me say. Mm-hmm. Like you, when I pull my 30-odd six out, that's just a part of me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm shooting at paper, I'm dead on. But the first time you go up and that first animal I shot at was a zebra, right. might as well have been the first time I ever picked up that gun. Um, <laughs> it and, happens. You know, I, I shot that zebra, and I swear to God, I was – and they wanted me to do a, a front, like a front slightly quartering away shot that would have Correct. You know, exited behind his opposite front leg. Mm-hmm. And pretty that should have torn up all his vitals. Uh Well, I did make the shot. I was only about eight Uh inches too low. So the four-legged zebra became a three-legged zebra. So began a long day. That well, and I'm on a cane. So what happened is we we kept trying to track them, and you know, for no anybody that's never been to Africa before, these guys that are trackers are unbelievable what they pick up and mm-hmm. what they and this zebra got going. I didn't know this, but zebra, I guess, will run forward, turn around, and watch their back trail to see if anything's coming after them. Yep. So this zebra would run 40, 50 yards. Well, I'm on a cane. I'm slow. He could hear me coming, mm-hmm. you know, two miles away. So right. as soon as we get a little bit closer, boom, off he go. Mm-hmm. They said, and a lot of times the hunters don't want anybody else to shoot their animal or get upset. And I said, no, I just want the animal to be put down humanely. And there's no right. way I'm going to catch the zebra. I gave the pH 
and the tracker my 30 odd six and a half dozen rounds of ammo and uh-huh. it took us we we walked for maybe 45 minutes and then all of a sudden they were gone for 10 minutes and bang bang uh-huh. they were right back to us like it's done right uh we had a great time and it, there was that and the wildebeest and how they kept uh-huh. up with that wildebeest who went through a herd of elon <laughs> giraffe other wildebeest holy smokes how they kept up with him i've got no idea it's incredible isn't it but they oh gosh those guys earned their tip man did they ever uh-huh. so they they'd ever let me forget it it wasn't supposed to be a texas heart shot but it was a texas heart shot on a baboon and uh uh-huh. he just turned around real fast right as i was pulling the trigger and they uh-huh. were like what are you doing what are you doing i said i hit him and my ph is like uh-huh. nah, i've seen you shoot i'm pretty sure you didn't hit him and uh yeah. <laughs> i says no i says I swear I hit him, Albert. I, I hit him. Well, I don't know. You know, that was 200 plus yards away <laughs> off the top of a mountain. Yeah. And so when we got over to the side, all of a sudden he just busted out laughing and he goes, look, I said, what? He goes, look at that rock up there. And it was a big streak of blood down it. And he said, that's the baboon that laying at the bottom of that rock. And uh, he goes, how do you hit a baboon at 200 yards and you miss a zebra? And I said, uh, we don't want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah things happen you know and that's you know maybe it was something in the way that you didn't see through the scope you know well and it, yeah it was just nervousness of of shooting that first african animal is really what it amounted to All right so yeah i'm actually here i'm in africa these are you know trackers right. who are the best in the world here's my professional hunter and they're of all creatures, is probably the most African of them all is a zebra standing in front of me. Yeah, these, it was, and, you know, they had us laughing. And like you said, big pieces of property, 60,000 uh-huh. plus acres. I was the only uh-huh. person hunting it because I was in there early. So beautiful. Uh, what an amazing experience. And I look forward to going to other countries like Botswana, like South Africa, like Tanzania, uh-huh. Namibia. Uh-huh. Uh, they all... As a kid growing up in the States, and you can probably relate to this, you watch right. the Tarzans, you watch anything that has Africa on it, and it it just yeah. is spellbinding. Hatari, that was my yes. big one. Oh, that was a, <laughs> that was a must watch, even to this day. Oh, Hatari. Oh, big time. I still watch it every now and then, and that kind of led me to some of the other stuff I, I do, which is, you know, game capture. You know, and that was kind of where that began, was watching them rope rhinos and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And, so you know. is the game capture done over there, here, or both? Here. I do. I've only captured game here in Texas. Okay. Uh, yeah, so whatever it is, I, I can catch it. You, know. so you guys use those and, rope guns? What uh, we use, you know, you know primarily, net, yes, net guns out of helicopters. So we'll put nets on them and and uh, go tie them down and put them in a trailer and take them to a new home. You know, and it's 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 actually a a magnificent conservation tool and what it's done for particular species that are that are extinct in their native lands or you know just about extinct. You know, some good examples would be scimitar horned oryx, the attix, dama gazelle, Pear David's deer. Those sort of those sort of species that really are next to non-existent mm-hmm. um, in the wild, but we have huge thriving populations in Texas, and it's just foresight. Well, and for people, people that, wanting to 
Yeah, for people that are listening from outside of the state and even outside the country, Texas Uh has huge populations of what we call exotics here in the state. And as you just said, it could be Cemetery Horned Oryx, the Dama Gazelle. One of my favorites, and it's one of the neat, what I think neater looking animals, is the Nilgai, the Black Uh Buck. You know, they're they're all over, and they've even access deer from India, which have established their own thriving wild populations, both captive and, and free range throughout a good chunk Correct. of the state. Yeah, like the Nilgai in the east. I uh-huh. mean, there's just Nilgai all up and down the coast, you know, southeast coast of Texas, you know. Yep. So it's, uh, it's, so it's really, I encourage folks that if you've never hunted here and you want to contact somebody like Jay, uh, even, and Jay can show you all sorts of stuff, not only on the ranch land, but also on the hunting. Uh, and, you know, it's just amazing that your background and experience from elephant hunting to all the Plains game to Cape Buffalo, which I could talk Cape Buffalo all day long. All day long, yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah, over in Buffalo Bits- hunting is special. Oh, yeah. It's I, the guys that do it and the people that do it. Absolutely. I, I You hear these folks that go over and do two, three, four a year. And it's like mm-hmm. it becomes a passion, uh, the same as the folks yeah. that hunt sheep. Right. That's exactly right. So yeah. you, you've you done all this stuff in Botswana. You, you're very accomplished uh-huh. hunting and, and growing up here in, in South Texas. And it kind of leads you back full circle. And you come back here. And recently, within the last couple of years, you've started a new endeavor. And would you mind telling Correct. the the listeners a little bit about that? Because this is really, I think, a cool thing that you're doing. Well, what what ended up happening is, you know, everything was going great in Botswana and uh, the government ended up closing dangerous game hunting, which would have been all the government concessions and all the tribal land areas. So it left a lot of us professional hunters without anywhere to go at the time. So I, you know, obviously came back to Texas, continued working over here, doing what I was doing. I was helping manage ranches on a consulting basis, doing hunt, obviously staying in, it is what I do and, and where I'm knowledgeable and doing a few safaris every year, probably spending two, three months a year in Africa, then coming back. And as things progressed, I was on safari one day with a, a very, very, very close friend of mine. We're actually, he was actually bow hunting and he was reading his book and he looks up at me, grabs on my shirt, says, hey, Jack, you turn around and said, yeah, what's up? And he says, I think you need to get into ranch brokerage. I mean, just out of the blue. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about that. And he says, you know, Jay, you'd be perfect for it. And this is the middle of Africa, okay, <laughs> that we're having this conversation. He says, I think you'd be perfect for it. You know everybody. You understand wildlife, you know, all over the world. You understand. You have a grasp on cattle management. He says, I think you'd be perfect, you know. And, and uh, with Botswana having closed down, this would be a great place for you to hang your hat. You know, and I said, yeah, I'll think about it. So I kept thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I figured he was right. And I had helped facilitate sales in the past. I would have a that would actually call me, ask me to go with them to ranches that they were going to be looking at at potentially buying for my input, you know, and take me with them for my input, you sure. know, once we had got shown the property by these brokers. So I thought, well, I've been involved in that. And so it all makes sense. So I did it. Knowing me and knowing the way I work and how I swing, I always swing for the fence. You know, I never, I never do anything shallow at all. And uh, so I then 
for a year research ranch brokerages across the country. I thought, well, I can check in local. I can go from local to Texas wide. I can go from there to south. I can. So eventually, after I researched everything, I came to Holland Hall, where all the way around it just all roads kept leading back to Holland Hall as being the best across the country in the ranch brokerage business. After all this research over a year, you know, Holland Hall was the, call it safaris of Botswana. You know, that's the way I, you know, compared them. So I uh, end up having a friend call me one day and, and uh, he was asking me for some advice. I said, well, what are you doing now? He says, well, I'm actually just went to work for Holland Hall as a biologist. And I thought, perfect, you know. <laughs> So I kind of asked him how he got in and how that worked. And we had another, I had an acquaintance in Holland Hall and, and he's in the Colorado office. So anyway, we got all got together at the Safari Club International in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. They got to know me a little bit more and, and I inquired. I said, listen, you know, I would really like to get into Holland Hall. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking, you know. So he went back to the partnership. Partnership, I guess they discussed it and... After nine months of interviews and vetting and meetings and conference calls, I was part of Hon Hall Ranch Brokerage. So it was a nice quick and, process. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very quick <laughs> process. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, good things happen to those who wait. You know, it was great. I mean, it's been a great transition for me. It keeps me out in the field. It, you know, keeps me doing what I love. And, and uh, that is, you know being out on ranches and what greater thing than to be a part of somebody else's dream, you know, as I've been with in Africa so many times. Right. So what happens with what you're doing now is let's say I'm in Texas or anywhere basically in the world and I want to own mm-hmm. a Texas ranch from, right. uh, I would assume from a small 40, 50, hundred acres up to 10, 12, 15,000 acres, whatever the size is. Correct. Mm-hmm. I can contact you. You'll help Definitely. me determine what might best suit my needs based upon what I'm looking mm-hmm. for and then start to show Correct. me properties. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, we, we focus in quite a bit on where you want to be located and, you know, obviously price points and whatnot, but I can I can help facilitate anything. I mean, that's the one beautiful part about Hall and & Hall and is that we have, since we have offices across the country, you're not limited just to Texas. You're, you, you have the country to look over. If you want something in New Mexico or Colorado or Montana, I mean, we have, uh, even in the Southeast on one of the quail plantations, we have people ready to go to work for you at all times. And, and uh, it really helped not only me, but it helped the partnership as a whole. And especially with our structure where we're uh, all for one and one for all. And so everybody wants to get that property, you a property purchased or your property sold for you equally. We all want it just as bad. That's what's helped our, been a huge part of our success throughout the years. So you're really looking to say, what's the best property for me, not what's the best property that I only have access to? Correct. Oh, that's a great option. Correct. I mean, if you, it is, it is. And it's it's a unique option that we're, able to a lot any of our clientele i mean we have people in texas who want something some elk country in montana or elk country or mule deer stuff in colorado and we can set them up beautifully with it so as you go along and no granted neither of us are tax advisors so please always consult your (laughs) your tax advisor on this but Uh i know here in texas and maybe other areas once they have a ranch there's several companies they can work with to have exotics put on their 
their property, raise them. Oh, yeah. And they don't even have to worry about what am I going to do with them. There's already a built-in market to remove them at a certain age and time. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's, it's a funny thing because I, I took pictures of big, probably 56 inch kudu, kudu bull yesterday in, in South Texas. I often tell people, you know, who are like, well, you know, I don't, I really don't want to, you know, I'm not, I don't see myself as a cowboy and don't want to mess with any cows. And then said, well, trade the cows for kudu. Yep. You know, it's as simple as that. I mean, we can, you can uh, profit from them. You can be a part of something greater. You know, if you want to get into, you know, some of the more unique species and feel as though you're, you're building up a population that really no longer exists and want to breed some Dama gazelle or some Barasinga or, you know, some odd species, you're more than welcome to in the state of Texas and uh, also profit from it. And that's, that's really where it all, what it all boils down to is that old adage, Jason, if it pays, it stays, yep. you know, and uh, there's no, there's no greater, in, in my opinion, greater example than in the state of Texas and the landowners of Texas who have brought animals back from the brink of extinction. Yeah. As you said, with scimitar horned oryx, the Dama Gazelle, the Adex, animals mm-hmm. that many zoos don't even have. You can be Correct. driving down a road, and I can't tell you the number of times I've driven down a road and you look out in a field and you have to actually stop your vehicle and back up and look mm-hmm. again because you're not sure, did I just see a giraffe out there? Or, <laughs> you know, did, That's exactly right. You know, I, I can remember driving down the road one time and a guy had a probably a 10-foot fence, big fence. Mm-hmm. You'd think, well, that's got to keep pretty much anything in. Well, Tyrannosaurus or something. Yeah, I come across a hill, and there is two of the biggest elk I've ever seen outside the fence, mm. just eating oh, at the wow. grass on the wow. side of the road. And <laughs> as soon as my headlights hit them, they looked at me, and I hit the brakes because I didn't want them to run out in front of me. And they turned around Correct. and leapt back over that fence like it was nothing. And That's incredible, isn't it? I was like, holy smokes. I said, I bet you that guy had no idea that he had all that money sitting out on the side of the road. On the side of the road, <laughs> yep. And it, and it happens more often than not, you know. So it, it's like those, uh, the, that little, there's a you know, smaller population of warthogs running around in South Texas, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, where'd they come from? Who knows? Yeah, luckily, somebody. I, I was reading something that they're genetically just different enough that they can't mix with the feral swine that we have down here. Correct. Because that would make a real nasty pig. <laughs> yeah, it would. Uh, yeah, it would. Yeah, it's amazing the, the population of animals down here. And as a, as an agent for Hall & Hall, if somebody calls uh-huh. you up from out of state and they're wanting that piece of Texas, you can really help uh-huh. them zero in. You can provide them access to, you know, whether it be something like Wildlife Partners or, or any of these other uh-huh. places to either take game off the ra- land or add game to it, depending uh-huh. on what they want. To it. Right. Exactly. I mean, and that, that's the nice part about it is, for example, that's what, what I did and how I made a living for years. So when I step onto a, a ranch in Texas, I already, I can already, I'm already envisioning the future. And when you get somebody that is looking to purchase property and has that kind of, has that same sort of mentality or foresight where they come in and say, you know, I really want to be a part of this. And I really like the idea of having animals from all over the world. And, you know, I can guide them through the through the process from all the way from you know the capture at their initial where they're located and all the way to onto the ranch that well they'll now reside and reproduce and increase in population 
and then they need to take a little trip to their accountant to realize what it's going to do for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and like again, I, I you know like you said, I'm not 100 percent familiar with how that works, but I do know that there is a, a way to work with the tax plan on that. Right. Yeah. And neither of us are tax people, but most tax advisors here in Texas are probably going to be able to give you a pretty good rundown on how that works. Mm-hmm. Well. Right. You know, I appreciate the time that you've given today because you've got such an interesting story. If somebody's outside the state, inside the state, they're looking at ranch land, what's the best way, uh, Jay, for them to get in touch with you? Well, the best the best thing for them to do, one, would be visit our website at www.hallandhall.com. And uh, if they want to contact me directly, my email address is jay at hallandhall.com. That's, uh, you know, anything, I mean, they want to talk about anything, you know, ranch land in Texas or Colorado, we can, we can definitely talk about it and I can point them in the right direction as to who to talk to and how to accomplish that, that goal of theirs. Great. And in the show notes of this episode, I'll have links to Hall and Hall and Jay's information so that you can easily contact him to discuss that. There's multiple ways to contact him via Facebook and or the website so he's available and you know just like i've bounced questions off you numerous times jay's a friendly guy and will be more than happy to on occasion talk with folks i think to point them in any way they need to go for uh, whether it be professional hunting in a foreign country or you know buying ranch land here in texas or outside of texas for sure we all those are all topics we like to talk about you know yeah that's the stuff that's easy to talk about (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) yeah Jay, I really appreciate the time you've given to me and to the listeners today. Uh, Like I said, you have one of the most interesting stories, and I know we really just barely scratched the surface. Uh, We could spend so much time (laughs) just on your apprenticeship with Johan. That could be four or five more hours of stuff that uh, you know we haven't touched. So in your stories from SCI and and the folks that you run into, it's all good stuff. And uh, so we'll look forward to having you on again. You know, anytime. You want to come on, you give me a holler. But uh, again, it was my pleasure, and I really appreciate the time. No, thank you very much for having me. And, you know, we've we've known each other for quite some time now, and you never need anything from me. You know you have it. And like you said, I mean, just the apprenticeship alone, we can go on for an hour or two and <laughs> hunting an hour or two, Texas hunting an hour or two, capture an hour or two. So, I mean, whatever it is you want to talk about, Jason, you always got it. Oh, sounds good, Jay. Well, you have a great afternoon, and uh, you take care. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye, amigo. Adios. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed. And hear those turkeys gobble. It's raining in my head. The winter rise bass boat, here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors round here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs, from early morning till real late. Bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers, 
Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's dozen till you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we So grab your guns and shells, boys Put on your camouflage Cause we command the outdoors around here